audio check. Today's episode is going to be the audio from a a talk I gave to a couple different groups of students at both the University of Florida and the University of Texas at Austin College of Pharmacy. You might hear a couple things repeated both in my initial talk and some of the questions. And again, this is because it's different groups um, that I kind of mashed into one episode. So uh, it kind of starts off with me going through my background about the future of pharmacy, building a personal brand and um, innovations in healthcare. Uh, but the bulk of the episode is actually uh, Q&A sessions with a bunch of different groups of students. So hope you guys enjoy. All right, so we got like two minutes left. I'll just wait to, in case someone like wants to trickle in like right on time. And uh, last time we... We went over time a little bit, so I'll try to see if I can like make it more efficient. Um, but thank you guys for choosing to come to this. I know you guys have like options and stuff, so all those other people made a huge mistake. So, <laughs> so I appreciate you guys uh, being in here with me today. So the way I'm gonna start it off with is basically just telling you guys about myself, uh, talk about what I'm kind of doing now, how I got to where I'm at, talk about the future of pharmacy, uh, what cool, exciting opportunities I think are out there, and then. Uh, I'm an, I really want to try to leave time for, and the reason why we went over is because we had, I had a lot of questions, so I want to talk, and I, I like the dialogue, and I want to answer questions um, and, and about the things that you're probably here today or things that you had before coming to like this event. So, all right, so I think I'll just go ahead and I'll just go ahead and kick it off. So, um, this is going to be the only slide uh, that I have technically that you can see here in person, uh, but what I normally do is I post my slides on social media. So my actual slides that I'm going to be talking off of on Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook. So if you guys have an Instagram and want to jump on, just so someone can help me guide through the slides, because sometimes I might ask for some help, uh, just go, it's at RX Radio is the name of the podcast, and that's where I post the slides if you guys are interested. I need at least one person to do it, so, so I can, I need, just in case I forget where I'm at, they can help me through the slide. So, got it? All right, cool. Perfect, appreciate it. All right, so let's jump into it. So uh, again, a little bit about myself. We'll talk about what, what's coming. Uh, and then what you guys could probably do about it. So uh, I actually got my career start in pharmacy at UF. I went to the Orlando campus. Uh, so that's the connection why I'm here. So uh, go Gators. Uh, the, uh, before that, I grew up in Miami, Florida. Uh, I went to uh, FIU for my undergrad. I got a, a degree in chemistry there. And then uh, went to pharmacy school. I was heavily involved on campus. Uh, I was vice regent Kappa Psi, president of PLS for a couple years, uh, president of my class. And I think that Involvement is important, and I definitely felt that when I was there. And uh, a lot of the things that I'm able to do now, a lot of that branched from that, those experiences uh, here on, on campus. Uh, while I was also in school, I had an internship with Target Pharmacy at the time. Uh, it was before they were CVS. And then I also was an intern for a, a company called VUCA Health. And that company creates medication education videos and uh, licenses that to uh, health systems, uh, um, pharmacies, specialty pharmacies, mobile applications. Uh, so the cool thing about that, that uh, when I was an intern for that company, they were a startup seven years ago, and they um, literally asked, like, you know, what students want to, you know, any students want to uh, help create this content? Like, four of us responded. We all got it. Like, you know, it was just, can you read? Yes? Okay, great. Uh, you can do this. So uh, we did. So I was one of those students that did that. Uh, with the founders, I was pretty involved in like what the business was doing, where it was going. I was really curious about it. 
I did that for a couple of years, um, stopped being a content contributor when they kind of really built out the library, went off into community pharmacy and practice on my own. I then started doing uh, private MTM. So I started an MTM company with just cash patients, no real reimbursement from CMS. Uh, and then I started uh, RX Radio, which is a digital media platform that create that does interviews with pharmacists and writes articles. I have a book out as well. Uh, through that, I really started honing in on the things that I was really passionate about, which is communicating with patients, patient engagement, having an impact on, on how they understand uh, their healthcare and their medications. So that company I interned for uh, when I was a 3PD, uh, about a year and a half ago, basically reached out to me and asked if I can continue operations for that company. So now I'm the president of VUCA Health, and that's my day job. That's what I'm really doing like day to day. Uh, the RX radio stuff, like the memes and all that stuff you guys might see on Instagram, like that's like just things I do on the side. Um, so what I want to do is, is I want to have a little bit of a conversation about perspective. So the first slide, if anyone's following along on Instagram or Twitter, it says it's the year 1950. Does anyone know what's significant about the year 1950 when it relates to pharmacists? So 1950 was the first was the year that the first PharmD was given out. And why, why, why is it, what does that have to do with perspective? The first medicine of doc, like medical doctor degree, so physician degree, was given out in like 1703. So physicians have had about 250 years worth of finding out what is it that their role in healthcare is. What are they going to be doing? We've only been doing it since 1950. And the, the perspective of that is 100 years from now, when they look back, every pharmacist in this room is going to be a pioneer of pharmacy, right? People are going to look back and wonder, like, wow, we, we used to, like, count medications. And just as how we look back is how they used to fill the capsules and, like, do, like, all the compounding, like, how it was the majority of pharmacy. People are going to look back and, like, wow, they were just, they were dealing with the medications. They had to deal with inventory and stuff like that. That's going to be a thing of the past when this really starts to, when we really start to find our role in healthcare. And that's what I'm really excited about, and that's why I'm really passionate about, uh, about, the about pharmacy and the industry. And that's why you're also hearing about a lot of closures and a lot of negative things in the industry about pharmacies downsizing, streamlining, closing stores, and things like that. It's on one end of it, it doesn't look good. And I understand that completely. I was in a meeting, um, I was at NACDS recently with a, with a pharmacy of a meeting that their pharmacy just, their, it was, I think it was a pharmacy that just filed for bankruptcy. And they're closing all their stores. I'm not sure exactly what's happening with pharmacies, but so I'm meeting with some of these people that it's humans that are being affected by this, but it's a reality of, of a lot of the automation that's coming, a lot of the changes in healthcare. So what the what I want to get into now is the disruptions and what's coming for us. So as we talk about how we used to practice pharmacy and how some of those jobs are becoming less and less available. But there's also a lot of other jobs that are becoming available. We just can't really see it yet. So that's what I want to kind of get into now. So I do believe the next slide is um, voice and automation, right? Boom. All right, nailed it. All right, so voice and automation. These, to me, are the immediate disruptors of healthcare. Everything is going to disrupt healthcare. AI, you're going to hear, you hear buzzwords about AI, virtual reality, machine learning, and all this stuff. What I think is the immediate impacts and what we're seeing now is the impacts of automation and, and voice technology. When I say voice technology, I'm talking about like these Alexa devices and like home devices and things like that. As we get more innovative with automation 
and pharmacists are forced to do other things, well, what's another thing that they can do? When a patient is using an Alexa device in 10 years or five years from now, and they say, hey, Alexa, like, how do I treat my allergies? That's going to be an experience that's going to be designed by a human. That human should be a pharmacist that's designing that experience. So there's a, there's a part of, of, the, of this space now called um, conversational design. So it's basically there's humans that are designing the interactions that, that people have on these, on these voice devices. And the reason why voice technology to me is one of the most immediate disruptors is because of how easy it is to access this device. It's only $30, right? And to use it, all you need to do is know how to speak, right? Which we've all been doing mostly for the most part in this room. We've mostly been talking since we've been three years old. So if you hand a patient an iPhone or some sort of tablet and you say, hey, use this, learn from this, it's going to be a very difficult conversation. But if you put an Alexa device in front of it, in front of that patient, and you say, hey, all you got to do is say, hey, Alexa, and ask it for what you want, that's a whole nother conversation. And because of that ease of use, because of its low cost, and because of the different use cases it has, it to me has the biggest potential to disrupt healthcare. So right now, uh, so my wife is sitting here um, being my, my wonderful videographer, so I can post this later. She can attest to this, that I use my Alexa to help me spell things. Like, I'm just not a good speller. Like, I just can't spell well when I'm typing and stuff. So I got to say, hey, Alexa, how do you spell this word or whatever, right? What that's going to turn into is really, hey, Alexa, please refill prescription number, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight. And that's going to be where, like, that technology is going. And there needs to be pharmacists behind that. So whether it be conversational design or just understanding the engagement of, uh, of these devices, pharmacists have new roles to be a part of that. And we have new ways to utilize our degree with the things that we learn in pharmacy. So this is a good transition to automation. So anyone here work for Publix? Are you serious? And no one here works for Publix in Florida? <laughs> it's wild. So, oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> Same thing. Kind of, kind of similar. All right. So I used to work at Publix Pharmacy, and we had this thing called Central Fill. Central Fill, in my mind, was a facility that had super technicians uh, just like knew exactly what was going on to fill all these prescriptions and then deliver it to the pharmacy for, the, for patients to pick up. So there was no dispensing happening at the local pharmacy. It's all being delivered uh, by that Central Fill. But again, to me, I thought it was just like super techs, like just amazing technicians just like doing stuff fast. I actually recently toured that facility and it's robots in there. Like when I say robots, it's like what you see on TV about like the car manufacturer arms and those are huge. These are mini ones, they're like my size, but they're like, they're like doing crazy stuff in there, filling prescriptions at a much faster rate than a super tech would, you know, like these, you know, really good technicians would. And that hasn't even really hit scale yet. It's not even a, it's not a huge percentage of what's being dispensed at the pharmacy, depending on where you're at, obviously. But the minute that hits scale, it's going to really free up our time to do why we come to why we came to pharmacy school and why we became a pharmacist in the first place. We didn't come to pharmacy school. Like, what which class here have you been in that it taught you about managing inventory? One class, okay. So that goes to show you that it's just, it's not, it's not what we do. That's not what pharmacists are supposed to do. We, we're not inventory managers. We're not ones that count. We're not supposed to just be counting pills and hand it to them. We're supposed to take care of patients, educate them about their medications, make sure it's safe, make sure it's affordable, make sure it's effective. These are things that we are supposed to be doing 90% of the, our time. Instead, we're only doing that 5% of our time at a pharmacy now. 
So, and a lot of times pharmacy is on defense. Like we are like, we want to hold on to the dispensing and hold on to that act of handing that prescription to the patient because we want to be the gatekeepers of it. But in reality, we need to, we need to foster the innovation to allow us to spend that 90% of making sure that medication for that patient is cost effective, it's safe, it's affordable. Um, it's, you know, it, so that's what we should be doing more of and we should be welcoming the automation to be able to do that. The other part of that was voice. Um, who here has an Alexa device at home? Okay. Who here like will never have an Alexa device in their home? Okay. So it's super funny uh, that you, the people that just raised your hand about not having one because you're worried that it's gonna like listen to you and things like that. But if I yell loud enough right now, hey Siri, someone's phone's gonna pop up, right? So just so you know, every single device that you have, unless you've actually gone and turned off those privacy settings, it's already listening to you. So um, if that's something that you're concerned about, just make sure to do that with your, with your phones. Um, but uh, I think about half the room, for those that are listening at home, because I'm recording this audio to post on the podcast, about half the room raised their hands for people that had a, a Alexa device in their house, and the other, the other half literally was like, I'm not having one. I think at some point it's going to be 90% of people is going to say I have one somewhere around me at all times, whether it be in my car, in my shower, uh, in my bedroom, like there's literally going to be these devices everywhere because of the convenience that it's going to provide to you. Like I don't, I can't spell well at all. Like I have a very difficult time spelling normal words. And like I literally will look over Alexa, how do you spell weather? And like it'll just tell me, you know, like, and it, my, my wife is sitting right here. She's going to attest to you that that is exactly what happens. Like it's legit. So like just little things like that sort of convenience is like going to really innovate and change the way we do things. Now I asked it how to spell something. But there's companies now that are working, that are, that are testing, like it's not like a, a theory, they're testing the, uh, the use case where a patient says, hey Alexa, can you please refill prescription number one, two, three, four, five. So everything that we can do right now on our phones is going to be able to be done through the experience of vo using voice. At some point it's going to be like that, it's going to hit scale. We might not see it at the end of the year, maybe not even through next year, but in the next three years, Almost every major pharmacy is going to have a way for you to connect with that pharmacy through that Alexa device. The reason that I bring, I bring this particular use case up is because we're gonna, I'm going to eventually talk about like niches and like what you can do like in the, in, the, in the profession other than just being like the normal hospital pharmacist, normal staff pharmacist. To design the experiences on these devices, it's, it requires a human. It requires a human to, if a patient wants to say, hey Alexa, um, you know, I just burned myself, what should I do? Or hey Alexa, I, you know, I, have, I, have, I think I really have bad allergies, what should I do? There's a, a human element to designing that experience for that patient. Who in the world is the best person to design that experience? A pharmacist, right? Most of the people that are designing those things have no idea that a pharmacist is the best person to be designing these experiences. So there's a thing, there's an there's a industry or like a segment of an industry in, in these uh, uh, Alexa voice world that's called um, conversational design. And I think that that is uh, something that pharmacists should really have a role in because it's just, we do that every day. Like every day we're talking to people just coming in and we're saying the same crap all the time. Like, you know, uh, Flonase, like just take it, it's fine. Like, you know, there's <laughs> like... We're doing that stuff all the time, right? Like, so we're the best persons to, to be in this, uh, in this conversational design um, aspect of things. And 
I'm really excited about it. I think, and, and the thing about the voice device is why I'm really excited about it, especially for patient engagement, um, which, is, which is what I'm really focused on now. The device costs $30, right? An iPhone costs $1,000. So there's a huge price incentive to have one of those devices. Now, to use an Alexa device, all you need to do, or any voice device, I say Alexa, but like it could be Google Home, Apple Home, whatever those things are called. Like it could be any Siri, any, any device using your voice. To use these things, all you need to do is know how to talk, like which is the majority of people have been doing that since they were three years old. So if you can just, all you have to do is talk to this device and it'll do what you want it to do, it's, it's, there's such a low barrier of entry to using it. And for patients that, like if you hand them an iPhone, they're gonna look at you like you're crazy, it's a much different experience for them. Uh, there's this thing, have you guys been like in, in your classes talk about social determinants of health? All right, so you guys have heard like loneliness is a huge factor in that, right? Um, well, if you haven't, it is. So loneliness is something that people are studying now where uh, they're finding that uh, people who feel lonely and you know, mostly uh, you know, people in, in the Medicaid, Medicaid space like over 65 or Medicare, um, there's a high correlation with negative healthcare outcomes if they're feeling lonely. And these Alexa devices or these, these voice devices can actually um, combat that because that's, at any given moment, uh, a patient can just say, hey, can you please call my daughter? And then that daughter can be in the room with them. So there's, and, and, it, and it feels different than having to go to your phone, like, you know, do things, have it in your hand, things like that. Like having that, just you saying it and then all of a sudden it's in the, it's in the room. Like those are little things that can end up combating these things. And again, I think pharmacists are a great way to identify um, how to solve those problems using some of these devices. So everything that we're doing now in regular pharmacies is being automated. Typing. We, we talk about like AI and, and machine learning, things like that. If you think about when you're typing and when you're verifying a prescription, you're looking at this says lisinopril 20 and over here it says lisinopril 20. That's it. Basic high school can do that. Right, like you just have to be able to read to do that. Now, making a clinical decision as to whether they should be on the Cinepro 20, it's a whole nother thing. But there's a huge part of our role currently today as it stands is verifying that. That's gonna be completely automated, right? So we have to start welcoming these things to allow us to free up the time to do other stuff. So automation is something that I think is gonna be, and, we're, and it's just something we're seeing now. So I was also, I, I got to tour um, a pill pack facility and they have, which this, this blew my mind more than the freaking robot arms. They have a, a, like a, a huge, it looks like a huge scanner, right? They, you guys know pill pack and the little package thingies, whatever. When a, when a prescription gets filled, each package gets fit through uh, a machine. And that machine takes an Im, like a high quality image of the medications, the, the actual pills in that, in that pack. And what happens is, it then, it, it basically, it verifies it. Like it, it, using that high quality image, it says this one's good to go, dispensed. The only time a pharmacist gets involved in that, in the verification process during that pill pack thing is if there's a, if, if the machine says this is not accurate or something's wrong here. That's when the pharmacist is like, okay, let me take a look at it. All right, what's the next slide? Uh, we're at building a brand. Building a brand, all right. Yeah, per building a personal brand. So as we, as we foster the innovations, as we understand that our roles are drastically changing, the great thing is, is that there's a lot of 
people in this room today that can actually create their own jobs, that can create their own positions based on something they're passionate about. With the automation comes the fact that now a community pharmacist doesn't just have to be a master of inventory and a master of operating um, the, the dynamics of a pharmacy. It has nothing to do with like actually practicing pharmacy. Now we can master uh, educating patients about, about Humira, about how to inject that medication. Now we can master um, how to talk to patients about um, managing their blood pressure and, and exercise, and diabetes. Like, there's all these different niches that you can get into. Uh, one thing this actually brings me back to as well is, um, which was really convenient. So I had a meeting actually on thir yesterday uh, with a large company that's doing patient education solutions. So they basically are, are doing something where they have a software where they can, when a patient fills a prescription, when that prescription is ready, they can text the patient to say, hey, um, you know, your prescription is ready uh, or your prescription is due for refill. Let's say, you know, these are the options that you can do. Should we refill it? Like, do you want to take it? Uh, when do you want to pick it up? In that meeting, I was, a, I was in a meeting with someone that was not a practicing pharmacist. Like they had never had experience working in a community pharmacy. So we're looking through the workflow and we're looking, we're evaluating like how can this be a better experience for the patient? I, being a community pharmacist practicing in that setting, the first thing that came to mind is when a patient hands me 10 prescriptions and they're like, I know I want all these and these are all good. Like, you know, let's take that. I know that's cheap. I know that's might be, you know, $4 here. But this one, I don't know what this one's for. And it's probably expensive. The fact that, that the people in that room, in that meeting, did not know that the best idea to add in this workflow was a button that says, I don't know what this medication is for, was like, I just saw light bulbs go off. And whilst a very minute example that is, that scales to every aspect of healthcare. And being a pharmacist really puts us in really great positions to have a role there. And I, I can't wait till the day because they're going to be putting that feature into the software. I can't wait for the day that like I'm seeing this in action and I see patients hitting that button to so, so we can trigger another event, which is probably going to be our video with my day job company that feeds a video to that patient to help them learn about their medication. Or it'll trigger a call back to the pharmacy to help them understand that. That is one minute example of what, how important it is what we do and how that can be scaled and utilized in a bunch of different ways and how things like conversational design are now new opportunities for us. And there's a bunch of other, these are just the things that I'm passionate about. It's not like this is the only thing that's next. There's a ton of others out there. But I only have like 20 minutes to talk and, like, and this is what I'm the most passionate about. And the reason I, again, I just want to give you guys that perspective and, and understand that, again, we're the pioneers of this and, and we really can have, make a difference. Now, back to the personal branding of that. A lot of people see now, like on social media, you know, they're seeing people like, okay, I got to build my brand. I got to build my reputation and stuff like that. So they immediately build an account. Like I'm going to do blogging and vlogging and like do all this stuff. But it's like, that is so much work to do. While you're in pharmacy school, you need to be focused on building relationships with other people that, that, are, that are with you now. Because you're not going to get this experience again, really. You're not going to be in a room full of, you know, engaged people wanting to, to do the similar things that you're doing. Take the time to meet and connect with people. Um, and then don't worry about, don't worry so much about your brand, your personal brand. I'll tell you how to do it soon, but I'm just giving you the advice of like how, what I would do. I didn't start creating content and really building my brand until two years after I left uh, pharmacy school. And it's because it's just a lot of work and you need to focus also on graduating, right? Potentially getting a residency if that's what you really want to do. 
And But really just make sure to um, build relationships with people. The other advice that I would give myself if I was back in the shoes of being in pharmacy school is to try to find a niche. And, and when I say find a niche, don't like be 100% of this is the only thing I'm going to do for my entire life. Just find one niche. And if you end up doing that forever, great. But if you end up doing that niche and then you find another niche that you're way more in love with, change it. Like change your niche. Like change your passion. Like it's okay. But find a niche because when you find that niche and you're able to find something that you love or you're passionate about and fuse that somehow with your, with your passion for healthcare and pharmacy, you'd be able to, again, potentially be in a position where you create your own job or create your own role. And, you know, it, it might not be one of those things where all of a sudden you, you are applying online and says, oh, patient engagement pharmacist. And like, let me apply for that. And that, boom, your job was created. It might not work out that way. The way it might work is you might get hired on to uh, be a regular staff pharmacist somewhere. And then through the grape, like through the vines, like everyone's hearing about what you want to do in your engagement. And all of a sudden the hospital director comes to you and says, hey, we're looking to en enhance our patient engagement solutions. Like we know you're super passionate about it. That's how your job gets created. And then all of a sudden most of your time is working on that project or, and then you start end up moving up the ranks and doing certain things that way. So how do you build a personal brand? So a personal brand is reputation. That's, it's, it's what, you know, people uh, uh, before the social media generation used to call a personal brand. It was called reputation. That's all it is. How do you build that? You, one is through the networking, but it's also through displaying what your passion is. And you display your, your passion is through either speaking, writing content, recording videos, um, writing articles, books, whatever the case may be. But creating content is really the key to creating a brand. And I create all types of content. I'm on video now, I do a podcast, I also write articles. Um, I'm doing all of that and I'm comfortable with it, but there's some people that only should be writing. And that's what you should hone in on and do, right? It's true, like, and that's okay. It's not, you can build a, an amazing brand by just by writing. On the similar sense, some people should not be writing. You know, they should be on video because they're charismatic, they, you know, they, they like the camera, whatever, and they, they can communicate that way. That's what they should be doing. If you can do all of it, great. But if you can't, find the way that you'd like to communicate and hone in on that when you're out of school and when you have more free time. And that's how you end up building your brand over time. So to wrap up, again, I'm really excited about what, what, the way that pharmacy is going and having some of the meetings that I'm having now and seeing that there was a culture previously of, uh, of you know, we have to do what we have been doing before um, because we have metrics to meet and we have things to do, to see that they're starting to step outside that box because of new leadership coming in and, um, and starting to be a little bit more innovative. We're starting to see a lot of changes um, in some of these large corporations that are going to allow for different ways that pharmacists can practice. And uh, again, what I would be doing now is honing in on what it is that I want to do and what I'm passionate about. And one thing that really helped for me when I was, um, when I write, closer around the time that I started RX Radio and I just knew I'm like whatever happens to me like whatever happens in my career it's going to be at the doing of my of like what I like my hands right it's going to be up to me like everything is going to be my fault all the good that's going to come with it and all the bad that I didn't do it's all going to be my fault and things that like you know just me taking the accountability to take the career into my own hands so that was a real stepping stone for me to like get into the mindset of like you need to start creating content you need to start honing in on your passion you need to, um, you know, just really start exploiting your, like, the things that I love to do. And that's why now I have a podcast. That's why now I'm writing articles. 
Um, that's why I'm here. Literally, like, I'm only here. Like, unfortunately, I wasn't paid by the UF to be here. Like, I'm here because this is what I love to do, and I want to, like, really drive the profession. And I want to inspire at least someone in here to do the same. And, like, earlier, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if she's in the room, but just someone was listening to the podcast a couple years before she even got to pharmacy school. And, like, it's such a good feeling to know that, like, she, she's in pharmacy school now knowing how bad the industry has been, but also hearing all the great things that I've, all the interviews that I've been doing on the podcast to see that there's so much more that you can do with your degrees. And to know that she's here and passionate about that, it's a great feeling and I'm, really, and, and I'm hoping to do that also when I speak to people um, in settings like this. Uh, around the time that I was in, I don't remember if I was still with CVS or not, but two years ago when I started RX Radio, I knew that I had to start making content to create a brand for myself. And I knew that I wanted to interview and find out what else was happening out in, out in the world. And I realized that to do that, you need, I needed to make content. So that's when I started creating content. And that's when I started really taking a deeper look into like, what is it that I want to do? What is it that I'm good at? What am I passionate about? And how can I correlate that with my career? And I think that that is the key to personal branding is to really start like start with the end of like what is it that you want to do and then work your way backwards and then let that like let that flourish now because of the because of the changes of the industry and because i had talked about being pioneers there's people today that are creating their jobs and there's people today that are that are being approached by companies for something new that no one ever thought that a pharmacist can be a role in. And the reason I mention that is because that's why having the end in mind for yourself is really helpful, but then also realizing the more niche that you can go in something is the better off you'll be for the most part. Um, and I really think whether it's you want, you love you know, asthma in terms of like studying it, become an asthma specialist, become the expert in asthma, because there's so many different things that just an asthma patient needs that a pharmacist can have a role in. If you're patient about um, star ratings, there's an organization called the PQA, Pharmacy Quality Alliance, that basically created star ratings. So, and that's an organization that's today still actively creating measures um, to uh, figure out how can we better um, health outcomes and how can we measure pharmacies and healthcare, practi um, healthcare practices about how to do that. So really start to focus in on what it is that you actually want to do. Now, yesterday, um, I like to pair things, like when I travel, I try to like bulk things together. So I had a meeting um, for, my, for my company yesterday with a patient engagement company. I can't, um, I, it's not public who we partner with, so I can't say exactly who the company is, but they're a large company that is serving um, chains, small independents, and, um, and large chains as well. They are designing patient engagement tools that can um, text patients uh, different content and run campaigns when their medications are ready. Or if, if they haven't had a vaccine in a while, they'll text the patient, say, hey, you know, we've seen you haven't had a vaccine for two years. Would you like to get your flu shot? Uh, the, the individual that I, I met with, uh, he's, he doesn't have experience working in community pharmacy. And the reason why this, like I, I'm, like I, was, I was telling my wife, I was like, I'm so happy I had this meeting to be able to have this conversation today was that there was a clear need for, the, for that meeting for them to have a pharmacist in that room. And the reason is, is because we were going through all the different workflows of like, okay, the, the patient's prescription's ready, um, you know, sh 
uh, or, or it's due for refill and then there's like different options. They can quick refill it or they can call the pharmacy. What, what I recommended that they add to this, and it was I literally saw a light bulb go off. Like what they recommended, what I recommended for this was that you should add a button in there that says like, I don't know what this medication's for. And there's no way that anyone in there, for the most part, I mean, I'm sure obviously someone could have come up with this, but the fact that I'm working at a community pharmacy and someone will hand me, hand me 10 prescriptions, ask for the prices and then say, oh, what's this one for? Um, that, you know, that third one there. And that happens all the time. And it's because that I was a practicing pharmacist that I knew that. These skills are going to be like the skills that you get in pharmacy school, working as a pharmacist, getting that experience is going to be heavily needed in every aspect of healthcare. And we just don't, we, we don't, we don't see it, but hone in on what it is that you really want to do and start working towards that because I guarantee you, like you'll get to a point if you if you niche enough and you're passionate enough, like you can actually potentially create your job at some point. And even if, even if like you are, you got hired for one thing because you're so passionate about the other, you're going to end up creating that job through that job anyway. Bless you. So building a personal brand is about, it's not about building a business. So I think that's also confusing. Like a lot of times people are like, oh, like, you know, pharmacies, like it's going, like it's going down the drain. You got to have your own business. You got to be a consultant. Like that's total crap because having a business and being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. It's not easy to do that. And some people don't want to do that. And like you want to do something that you want to do. So like, don't think that building a personal brand is like building a business, that there's actually two separate things. Building a personal brand is the same exact thing as having a reputation. It's basically what it is. It's like, what are you known for? Like when someone hears your name or sees your picture or sees that you wrote an article or did a podcast or did a vlog, like what, what should come to their mind? That's like what personal brand is. And you do that through content. Now, uh, I think the next slide is, so I'm gonna up you on this one, is like, what do you do now? If I was in pharmacy school and I didn't start creating content for myself until I was um, two, like two, a year or two out of, or maybe about a year out of school. I couldn't imagine creating the amount of content I do today during pharmacy school. And I'm seeing a lot of people now that's saying like, I need to build my brand, I need to build my Instagram, I need to like do all these things. Like it's hard, it's work to build a brand and create lots of content. So, but it's not the only way, like just building and creating content is not like the only way. Again, because it's reputation, what I would do if I was in your roles is I would make, be making sure to build relationships with people, making sure to attend conferences, be involved, get to know others. Because at some point down the line, a lot of these people are going to be the ones that you can potentially um, make an introduction to get into a role that you created because you were passionate about it. So if I was in your shoes now, I would, I would be heavily focused on one, finding out what it is that I'm good at or I want to do or I'm really passionate about, no matter what it is, like it could be anything. And then honing in on that. And then at the same time, building relationships with other people through being involved, through um, going to events and things like that. Now, I'm in a role now where I'm, I've been talking to like very, um, like I'm in meetings with decision makers. Uh, like uh, I was at NECDS recently where there's like VP of pharmacies, um, pharmacy ops, like I'm in like some of these high level meetings and these large corporations are, are filled with people. 
And a lot of times we demonize the corporations because of things that they do, but at the end of the day, it's filled with people and people that actually care about you. Like when the Walmart thing happened, um, I had a, a, a district uh, or a regional manager like like see an article that I wrote about it, and it's like like we're 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 so hurt. And it wasn't like a public thing; like she privately messaged me about how bad she felt about it. So, and a lot of times we're we're treating some of these organizations like if it's just like some like weird like machine, but it's actually filled with people. So that's just one random thing I wanted to throw out there because I think it's important to know that a lot of the times the people in these roles they want change to happen. And uh, a lot of times, like, there's no incentive to be innovative. That's another thing. Is like when you when you start looking at these corporations, there's no incentive to be innovative. And a lot of times, they know that you know the Walgreens on this street should be completely different from the Walgreens on this street because of pa patient population. But there's a disconnect because of there's no incentive to like actually drive that. And there's actually penalties for like thinking outside of the box and doing some of these things, like because it's whether it fails. And then this looks bad on you and like, you know, you could get fired. Like there's all kinds of things that happen there. Um, that's just another random thing I wanted to make sure you guys are aware of that a lot of these people that when they're in these roles, we think that, are you like, we look at them like, are you stupid? Like you don't see that this is like what's happening here. And it's not that they're just like, their hands are really tied usually. Um, so just make sure that that is something that you guys are aware of. All right, who has questions? So when you're talking about, um like healthcare expanding into the home with mm -hmm. elected devices, do you find access to internet being a problem? Because there's still an issue with that in rural areas. Yeah, so that's definitely a problem. And what I'm finding is, is that people are actually, uh, I met with one company that have found that it's actually beneficial to pay for the internet to go there. So what people are doing is if the insurance companies are realizing, like we need this person connected because we can't reach them and they can't travel and there's all kinds of expenses involved with providing care to them. So some of these people, there's companies that are saying like, we will pay for your internet because we need you connected. Um, so while that is a huge barrier, there are companies that are trying to make sure that those patients get connected because it's just realistically to scale a lot of these things out, that's just what has to be done. Yeah, I was, that was actually like what I was thinking if that was the case because I see a lot of like mail order nowadays and almost insurance companies like, in, in a way, forcing patients into Miller or forcing them to have to say they don't want it. And mm -hmm. so it already seems like insurance companies are trying to get the, like to them as directly as possible. So Yeah. And like, let's be clear, like a lot of people don't like mail order and, and you know, a lot of times we're emotional about face to face. We need to completely get over that because mail order is going to be at scale, especially with what PillPack is doing. It's just, it's not going to make sense for patients to have to come to the pharmacy to get their prescription. We as pharmacists should not, we're so tied to like the dispensing of a prescription and it doesn't, it, to me it doesn't make sense because it has nothing to do with providing care. The act of me giving, handing you the prescription has nothing to do with providing you care. Like the, far, like the care that a pharmacist should be providing. And we're, we're so attached to it because again, we're on defense and we're trying to like, like, you know, hold on to like what we've been doing. But we need to go on the offense and, and welcoming that innovation to, to help us do what we really want to be doing on healthcare. Who else has questions? Yeah. So what's your personal opinion on how they're developing the ability to ask Alexa some sort of question and all you have to know, like you said, is how to speak. Mm -hmm. However, a lot of times with us being in the field, we know the questions to ask. How do you feel there may be situations that come up 
where sometimes patients just don't know the correct question. Yeah, so that's a great question. So part of um, conversational design is also leading the patient. So a lot of times when there's a, when there's a, a skill, which is essentially an app, a skill on these devices, the Alexa will say, you know, how can, I how can we help you? Let's just say random. And if the, if the patient says help, or sometimes if, if the machine learning is just aware that like this patient population is likely going to need some guidance, it'll say, hey, you know, thanks for, you know, uh, asking us a question. You can ask things like, and it'll give examples to that. Now, what some of these things are doing, um, uh, one company that is actually doing something really interesting, it's not, it's not an Alexa skill, but it's a chat bot. Um, so it's called Maxwell, I think. So basically, like a patient can text. This is something different, but the, the use case is similar to, to your question. The patient can text a couple things, and the chat bot is a machine learning thing that's a machine basically answering questions. But at some point, it could actually realize that like something's wrong here, and it's going to actually trigger a, a, a notification to a healthcare pro provider. And then, so similarly, in a voice space, if the Alexa is just realizing that like this is just not going well, like hey, hold, like we're going to get someone in contact with you, and that's when like an actual human would come in and come like be involved, whether it be through email or call or whatever. So the pharmacy will get a notification. Hey, I saw you were trying to use your device. Like Mrs. Smith, how can I help you? You know, and like that that'll that'll eventually be a part of the experience. So, it's a good question. That was two minutes of the fifteen. <laughs> yeah, I'll, go, I'll come to you next. Okay. <laughs> um, so with these new innovations, it seems like there's a lot of opportunities available, like within the community setting, and then within businesses and industry. How do you think, like something like the Alexa or advances in technology regarding that, where it's more hands-off, would translate into something like hospital pharmacy, where right now it's very hands-on? So hospital pharmacy, um, uh, a couple use cases that are that are already being used now uh, with Alexa devices. Uh, from a from a practitioner's are using it, so a practitioner can say, "Hey, uh, you know, what's the history of this patient's weight?" And you know, if in a heart failure patient, it can see like, "Okay, that patient actually gained five pounds yesterday, so it's a problem," um, or you know, it's, their weight's fine. So little things like that, you can the practitioners are going to start to ask it, um, and that has nothing to do essentially with direct patient care, like face to face or whatever. But for the practitioners, it's being useful. Also, still something that pharmacists can be involved in designing. Uh, from a patient standpoint, uh, there's one use case. I haven't seen this actually in a hospital, just to be honest. What I've seen is like nursing homes. Um, but what they're doing is they're basically, instead of not actually providing health care, but just normal functions like turning off the lights is like important. Because if they're, if they're bedridden, instead of having to depend on the nurse, nurse, can you come turn off the light? Or potentially having to find their little remote to turn off the light, they can just say, hey, Alexa, can you please turn off the lights? Or turn on the TV, like do things like that. So um, those are little ways that those devices are going to be um, in, um, innovating. Now, one thing I wanted to mention too, I think, uh, uh, actually, sorry, another question. Oh, okay. So, so it's, all right, sorry. Did I answer your question? Yes, yes. Okay, all right, go ahead. Sorry. I don't know if you spoke about this earlier, but um, do you think it's going to be easy for insurance, company to, insurance companies to partner up with like the Alexa uh, feature? to make it like more accessible for the patient. And if you do see that happening, like how soon do you think that's gonna happen? Yeah, so great question. Um, if I had to meet with a, with a insurance company tomorrow, I would tell them that as a part of their coverage, they, need, they should provide every patient with an Alexa device 
as, as, as an option, not, not just ship it, but like as an option. Say, hey, we're giving you this for free. Um, I don't think it's, uh, there's no barrier to that. And I just think that the way insurance companies operate, they operate on outcomes. So there hasn't been a lot of studies that have demonstrated, like the things that I'm talking about, I have zero scientific proof. I just know it's coming. Like it just, it's just, ob it's obvious though. And a lot of times like we have to do things in healthcare that's obvious. But when I say we have to, we should, but we don't. A lot of times companies don't make decisions unless there's a proven study that showed X percent of improving and outcomes. And there's, that data isn't there yet. Um, and it's because like the, the Alexa devices just came out. We're just starting to see the use cases. There's still developers developing the skills to do that. But I guarantee you that there will be a time that, um, and it's because I'm, I'm seeing the results of like, uh, of, of the successes in some of these nursing homes that insurance companies are going to be providing this to their patients because it just makes sense because of all the things that, um, because of uh, impacting loneliness, uh, access to the pharmacy, um, with just using the voice. Um, so I definitely see that happening as, uh, and as the future comes along where as a part of a patient's coverage, they're going to be able to see that, um, that ability to just get an Alexa for free. Does it make sense? So. Yep. Um, I've seen like, the innovation happening mostly when it comes to independent pharmacies, especially like in areas like Puerto Rico, I've seen the robots in their prescription areas already and they've had apps for the pharmacies to communicate with their patients. How do you see that being transitioned into a corporate setting where you have to go through so many lines of pushback when mm -hmm. you're trying to pass technology, especially yeah. if you have a very archaic board of directors? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. and. So I meet with a lot of the, the exact thing that you just mentioned, my company has a problem with. So even though our company is not, we're not doing robots, our company is an innovative, is doing an innovative solution for some of these pharmacies. And we have that pushback of like, I can sign up an independent pharmacy. Like I'll go to a show and I'll sign up 10 independent pharmacies and they'll just like enroll on services. But then it'll take me two years to like get another chain on board, right? And it's the same product. And the reason that is, is because of all the bureaucracy that you mentioned. Um, what's... The things that I do and what needs to be done with these organizations is that they need to look at startups and look at how, why startups are, effect, are effective. And startups are effective is because there's an incentive to fail. And what do I mean by that? There's an incentive to try as much as you can to get to figure out how to make it work, no matter what, what it takes, whether it's failing or not. Obviously, you just can't go out of business. But when you're in a, a large corporation, there's no incentive to fail. It's like, we need you to do something, we need, you to, we need you to work. And if it doesn't work, like, you're borderline out type of things. Or like, this is going to be a problem. And that's a bad incentive to have in these corporations. And the reason for that also is because there's short-term incentives that these corporations have. Like, they have to meet numbers and metrics and that kind of thing. So they just hone in on, like, what is either already working or what there's, like, scientific data behind. But the culture needs to change. It needs to change here. Like, someone in this room, potentially, at some point, is going to be a leader in one of those organizations. And you have to have that mindset of being like, it should be run like a startup. Like we need to try new things, especially if it just makes sense. Not because like there's a bunch of numbers behind it. It's like, it just, it just makes a lot of sense. And then if it fails, like it should be incentivized. Like, hey, we, you went with your gut, you called it like, you know, and the next one that you do is probably going to work. Or we, we learned so much from that failure. And now look, we're implementing X, Y, Z. So I think it's just the mindset and the conversations to have with some of these organizations. Um, when you get to like a point where you can talk to them and Again too, to the earlier point like a lot of times they know what what is coming They're just not willing to put their neck out on it 
as well. So I hope I answered your question. Okay. So, so I hear a, a lot about advancements within like four pharmacists mm -hmm. within pharmacy operations and then the advancements with like patient care. Mm -hmm. But do you feel like the personnel, like the technicians, do you see like they'll be eventually phased out or are you aware of any opportunities for advancements? In no, I, I think on the contrary, they're, they're uh, being trained more. Um, so what's happening is um, there's some states now where technicians are, are providing immunizations um, where that's legal. Uh, because of the things that we that I mentioned before where it's like pharmacists are required uh, to do these like, you know, matching words like lisinopro 20, lisinopro 20. Uh, there's also um, states that are doing like uh, tech, check tech is what you call it, where a technician does something and then another technician comes and checks it and then, and then it's verified, it's good to go. It's usually like on refills and stuff. But... I think on the contrary that most organizations are trying to figure out how to utilize technicians more. <clears throat> and the reason is because uh, you know, they're, they're, um, they're not as highly paid as pharmacists, but they can do a lot of the things that the pharmacist is doing, right? And that's also a reason why we need to like, not hold on to those things because it just, it's just pointless to. If someone that just has a technician training can come in and do that role that they didn't have to go to pharmacy school for, we shouldn't, like, we shouldn't hold on to that. We should, we should allow that to happen and then figure out a way to better use the skills that we use. Like the community pharmacist loses, unfortunately, unless you're a ninja, like you're losing a lot of information because you're not, you're not using it. It's not because you don't want it or you don't like it, it's just you're not using it. And we need to get to a point where the majority of the time that we're practicing pharmacy, we're using the skills that we develop in school. So, so I think you had, and then I'm gonna go here and here, my peripheral vision. So, not to be a downer, but mm -hmm. like more I hear, more I'm imagining, um, let's just, uh, let's, uh, whatever, the thing, becoming a therapist, where you just ask a question, you will know, like, every answer possible. So, you, you will be undoubtedly better pharmacist than I am with the knowledge, because it's a machine you will never forget. Yeah. So... Well, Google is a better pharmacist than you are. entirely, because pharmacy is not needed anymore. Because if I'm a doctor, I don't have to ask a pharmacist, I just ask the therapist. Yeah. So... The thing about these decisions, like infor information is becoming commoditized, right? Every pharmacist has a Lexicomp or, or, or the equivalent in their pocket, a Google. Like you can find legitimate medical answers on Google. That's, that's already there. That's already happened. There's no, there's no going back from that. Um, it, even if you look further out, uh, Elon Musk has created a company called Neuralink where they're creating a brain machine interface where they're putting a chip in your brain that can essentially give you access to everything, right? When that happens, you're still going to need a pharmacist or, or you're still going to need a specialist to clinically make a decision that requires emotion, that requires critical thinking, that, that, that utilizes the information. We have to get to a point now where, where we understand that the information, it's not what you know. And this goes, this is starting to actually go to like to networking as well, where like everyone's like, oh, it's not, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. No, that's not even the case anymore. It's what you do with who you know, right? And the same goes for the information that we're all going to be getting access to. It's not about that we can get all the information. Anyone could at some point get all the information they need, but what do you do with that information? And that's why the pharmacist is still going to be needed like throughout all this and, and all the other practitioners. So, I think you had one? Yeah. So, um, uh, community pharmacy, and I know this is a digital health um, mm -hmm. presentation, you're saying is it's moving towards mail order, mm -hmm. 
it's uh, becoming digital, right? Mm -hmm. So I joined pharmacy because I wanted to make an impact on, on patient health, have that one-on-one. -on -one. And we're taught in school, and what we learn from not even being in school is yep. that we're we're the most accessible. Mm -hmm. A patient can come and do those things, right? So if you remove, if you have a robot fill prescriptions, central fill, what have you, mail order, then what is the pharmacist, the pharmacist doing beyond giving, which, which is their job, the, the yeah. consultation, right? Sure. So remove all those things and what you're left with is consultation, right? Mm -hmm. How, what, what's left now for community pharmacy in terms of so their role? I'm a, I, didn't do, I didn't apply to residency. Right, because I was so passionate about community pharmacy. Like I wasn't like I didn't get it, and like I, I was I didn't think I would. I loved community pharmacy, and that's what what I went into. And I went into it because I wanted to change it, right? And it's because uh, everything that you just mentioned, I wanted to try to figure out how to execute on at some point. And what's left is is the every notice the community pharmacy. You don't get any of that training through school. All the four years, the only time you do is when you do an IPP or the APP at the pharmacy. Everything else in terms of operating the pharmacy, you're not, you're not doing in school, right? So what you're going to be able to do is now execute on all the things that you went through, whether it be talking to a patient about social determinants of health, figuring out what's going on, um, connecting with them, uh, motivational interviewing, like all those things that you actually learn through school is what is left and it's all that we should be doing, right? Um, so what's going to be left is uh, technology to enhance that. So at the time that there's a patient not coming in, so there's a company, you guys can all look this up later, there's a company called Aspen RX Health. They're basically creating the MTM for Uber, like or the, the Uber for MTM, right? <laughs> so like what they're basically doing is, is uh, they've created a platform where a pharmacist sitting anywhere, whether it be at home or at a pharmacy, can just um, look through a queue of patients that need um, uh, MTM services uh, completed on them. And then from the queue, they can do the service and then they get paid right there on the spot after they, after they you know, obviously document and do all the regular MTM stuff. So the pharmacist should only be doing that stuff, right, throughout the day, not like doing all the other stuff that's involved. And that's what's left for us to do. So in terms of that, sorry, I think yeah. that's my main question then. Sure. So if, if the bulk of community comes behind filling prescriptions, however many prescriptions you fill is what, is how our company makes money. Mm -hmm. Does MTM then, which is what is left, does that make money? Oh yeah, of course. So so the, 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 we're not making money off regular prescriptions anyway. Like the, that's why, why do you think flu shots have become such a, such a huge thing. It's one, yes, obviously we want to make people healthy and not get them the flu, but the profit margin on a flu vaccine is insane compared to lisinopril, right? And that's, and all these different revenue models are why, are why these things are happening. We have to figure out that, we have to understand that the dispensing part is not how we're going to be making our money um, in the future. It's going to be these services. It's going to be partnering with a telemedicine tele uh, company. I just interviewed the CEO of MD Box. It's going to be posted on Sunday. That company is basically creating a platform where every single community pharmacy can have a virtual minute clinic at it because a patient just shows up and says, hey, I want to, um, I think today uh, I have, uh, I might have the flu. And then they could get on a, a call with the, with the doctor or whatever, like just do the phone. The pharmacist can perform the test to, just to see if it's negative or positive. Prescription gets dispensed right there. Boom, you're out. Not only did you make money off the prescription, but you also made money off the telemedicine cons consult. So those are different, like revenue models that are going to be put in there. But the whole, like, we're going to make money off of this prescription, uh, and that's how we make money, is going to be completely gone at some point. Okay, who has questions? All right, in the back. Uh, first off, thanks for being here today. We appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so what you touched on earlier, uh, like, 
basically we go through legislative days every year and there's often a bill uh, sort of proposed to like empower technicians to kind of do more roles in the pharmacist. Um, I've kind of been in the mindset that to grab the next branch, we kind of got to let go of the last one, and I kind of feel like that might be the, the vibe you're giving off. Do you think we should kind of be more active in that, kind of like supporting like technicians to take maybe some little more tedious tasks so that we can kind of get those dreams out that you were touching on? Yes, so this is a, a clear, also a clear example of the pharmacy being on defense and, and the fact that we need to go on offense. So we're again trying to hold on to, and, and part of it too is liability. A lot of times pharmacists don't want to give a technician a role because they think if they mess up, it's going to be the pharmacist's fault when, when that's also changing with some of that legislation that comes. Uh, we have new things where they're doing check versus check, uh, tech, tech, check, tech. It's hard to think of. Uh, they're doing things, uh, tech, check, tech, where basically uh, it's usually on refills, but a technician fills the medication and is verified by another technician. If something goes wrong, that's the technician's fault. Even though there's a pharmacist there, that liability is still not fully solely on that pharmacist. That's going to be on that company and, and the technicians, not on the pharmacist. So again, this is an example of just us being on defense and, we, and us needing to... One thing that I mentioned um, earlier today that, that um, in terms of automation, right, be on defense, a main role of a community pharmacist is verifying that a pill matches another pill, right, or an image, sorry or that words matches words. So if you're verifying, and I know you guys don't have, may, may not have seen this, but when a pharmacist verifies, they're looking at the prescription that says lisinopril 20 milligrams, and they're making sure it was entered as lisinopril 20 milligrams. That is a huge part of our role as a pharmacist. And you're just matching words. Like, unfortunately, you're just matching words. That has, I'm not, this is not, not, nothing to do with clinical, like should they be on lisinopril is a whole other question, right? But the fact that you're just matching words, that's going to be automated at some point. Machine learning and things like that, that's going to take over. Uh, I, I toured uh, the PillPack facility uh, last year, and I, I, was, I, I was looking at all their operations, and I saw that one of the, uh, the way that they verify the package, everyone here familiar with PillPack, little packages, medication side, they feed those packages through a large printer. The printer's like the size almost of this table here. They feed each package individually this the size of this is some super high intense um, uh, camera, essentially. And that camera takes an image of that picture and, and has a, a, some sort of AI or whatever that figures out, is that the medication that's supposed to be in there? The only time, and that's verifying that prescription. The only time the pharmacist gets involved is if the camera picks up something weird so, or, an, or a problem or an error. That's the only time the pharmacist gets involved. Other than that, the packages are being verified by that machine. And that's allowing, that's freeing up the pharmacist to do other things, right? So PillPack has a team of pharmacists that are just making care calls and doing, making sure like the care is being coordinated, doing MTM and stuff like that. And that's because those machines provide for that extra time for those pharmacists to do that. It's a prime example that we should, we should be fostering, whether it's technicians being able to have more roles that don't require them going to pharmacy school or machines doing more things for us that also can do the job better than we can and it has nothing to do with like our needing to go to pharmacy school. We need to welcome those to allow us to perform the duties that we're really here for and, and what we should be doing. Thank you. Sure. You first and then you next, okay? All right. Hi, um, also, thank you for coming. I also sure. listened to your podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm a big fan. Um, so with you saying that, you know, you think that pharmacy is going to be changing and the roles of the pharmacists are going to be changing. How do you think that's going to affect like academia, like the curriculum and what types of um, prior um, education we need? And have you ever considered academia? 
Sure. So luckily for uh, the, the business of schools, you have to have a degree to be a pharmacist, right? So, uh, which is unlike other schools, like there's times where people are going to business school to do business when you don't need a business degree to make a business, right? But you need that for pharmacy. We need to know that you know your stuff, which is, which is an absolute requirement. I'm a firm believer that the academics of it is going to change. What, 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 I'm, what I'm starting to see more of now, but what we're not seeing is that everyone's attention is changing. So uh, the way we consume information is changing. And what I'm seeing now is uh, there's pharmacists that are building content on Instagram and doing things like that. And people are learning. Literally, people are scrolling through the Instagram feed and learning a quick pearl about uh, smoking cessation. That's amazing. And I think that incorporating that sort of education and being able to engage the way that new students are learning is the way that we should be moving towards and, and making sure that they're being engaged. Because at the end of the day, like, it's really up to the student to learn this stuff. And it's the teacher's responsibility, obviously, to present that information. But the great, educa the great educators and the great teachers are the ones that are, are actively involved in engaging their students and getting their, and getting their attention where that attention is. So I think that as we start to, um, as things start to change that way, and, and the pharmacists, like the ones in this room, potentially one day will become, go into academia, uh, they'll be able to interact and engage and, and get their attention and help them learn and, to be, and inspire them to be better pharmacists. Uh, in terms of if I would be interested, uh, I, I mean, I, 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 that was never like my end goal to become, go into it, but um, I do it every day. I'm just not attached to a school. Um, all I want to do is help, help people learn and teach them things. Um, I'm just not an expert clinician, so I wouldn't be in the role of, you know, helping someone become an expert um, in, in uh, endocrinology. But uh, I, hopefully one day I'll be able to help uh, expand pharmacies, digital health uh, knowledge and how we, the use cases of digital health, uh, how pharmacists can play a role in all those different use cases, talk to them about marketing. Um, one thing that's actually very underutilized in pharmacy is the fact that we're actually amazing salespeople. The pharmacist that can that loves to interact with other people and can potentially have a sales role is amazing because because we're not salespeople and that we're pharmacists that just care about the patient, we're 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 actually amazing salespeople. And I'm I'm just seeing that firsthand as I'm now um, uh, responsible for growing our company and growing our business. I'm technically out there being a salesperson, but I'm not doing the the sale car salesman type tactics. I'm actually genuinely trying to help patients with what we have. And it's just, it's a, it's a skill set that pharmacists have, being a community pharmacist especially, um, and if you have the personality to be in sales, without any sort of formal sales training, you're actually already out the bat with a PharmD, an, an amazing salesperson. So maybe like one day I'd be teaching that at school, like to a pharmacist, I don't know. I don't think count on maybe. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> so. Good question, though. Oh, sorry, you were next, and then you. And then back. Um, this might seem like a random question, but I heard that the field of pharmacy informatics is a growing field. Nailed it. What do you know about that field, and how do you feel like it can contribute to pharmacy in terms of other people? That's a, that's a really good question. So um, pharmacy informatics is, uh, I recently uh, interviewed the host of another pharmacy podcast that is solely focused on pharmacy informatics. That, that podcast is called Pharmacy IT and Me. Uh, the host is called Tony Dow. Um, he's a really good, uh, really good guy. He's a pharmacist out in California. And uh, he, um, when I had a conversation with him, one of my questions was, what the hell is pharmacy informatics? You know, like, what is that? 
And he's, his answer was, it depends on who you ask, right? Uh, but essentially, it's a, huge, it's a huge growing field. And uh, it's a great bridge between healthcare and technology. Uh, pharmacy informatics is really the bridge to fusing those two things together. And it, it's a huge growing field. And there's a lot of opportunity. They have PGY2s now um, that, are, that have residencies specifically in informatics. Um, they have positions where the, the, literally the title of the pharmacist is informaticist. So uh, that's definitely a growing field. Uh, the, the problem is, is like, what is it? You know, like, so uh, what you can find, and I think that podcast is actually a great way to start or reaching out directly to Tony, uh, that he'd be able to uh, kind of guide you. There's also uh, groups. There's a, um, a Slack group. Uh, the, I don't know if you guys have heard of what Slack is. It's basically like a forum um, in like the new business world that uh, it, it's been around for a while, but it's just becoming, I think, more popular, especially with healthcare and just random groups. But it's kind of like a Facebook group, but there's a Slack channel. It's a pharmacist Slack channel um, that all you need to be is a pharmacist intern to join or a pharmacist. And there's actually an informatics group where just there's just informatic pharmacists in there just talking, like posting stuff, talking. So it's probably a good thing to uh, get you introduced to informatics. Yeah. I think there was one in front. Yeah, so I think I've seen that book, one of Luca Health Schools, like the paperless pharmacy. Yes. How Nailed it, man. My, my marketing's on point. <laughs> <laughs> How's that progressing, or how close is that to the Sure. So thank, thank you for asking that question. I appreciate it. So we have a campaign that we've been going to uh, boards of pharmacies to advocate, because when we, when we review the pharmacy regulations, uh, most regulations don't say that when you have to provide, when a patient gets a prescription, you have to print, put all that paper in the bags. Uh, whether it be a med guide or just a patient edge sheet, there's actually no real regulation that says it has to be on paper. So we don't automatically just assume that's the case. We actually go in front of the board and say, hey, uh, board, we've reviewed the regs and this is what we found. Can you confirm this? And we've gone 44 states so far to say, yes, that's actually true. If you can provide the med guide and the patient edge sheet digitally, and we do it through a QR code on the patient's label, uh, the pharmacies don't have to print that paper anymore. So we've been saving pharmacies um, a lot of money uh, just, just from directly from like improvements in workflow and not having to print that paper, the pharmacies have been saving a lot. And then a lot of times when patients come to pick up their prescriptions, they're like, "Just can you just throw the paper away, please?" You know, or you end up fighting in the parking lot. So, uh, you know, this is a way to one just you know reduce that waste. But then also that that paper, that QR code, not only comes with the med guide on, that's digital or the patient entry, but it comes with the video that we created specifically about that medication. Uh, we're in uh, over 500 pharmacies across the nation right now. Um, I think we have, a, we have at least one pharmacy in every state, although some of the states that are not approved, they're just not going paperless. They're, they're providing the digital access. Um, but yeah, a couple of Florida's the, our most, uh, the state that has the most pharmacies. But yeah, we're in over 500 pharmacies across the nation so far. So I think there was a question towards the back. I saw a hand. No? Okay. Any, anyone else has any questions? We have 14 minutes. <laughs> Uh, can you talk about a little bit more about your time at the University of Florida? Yes. So, mm -hmm. just like when I was a student? Yeah, when you were a student. Yeah. Or and Sure. So, um, I would highly recommend getting involved in something. Uh, I was in Kappa Psi, but I don't care if you join Kappa Psi. Like, join something uh, and be involved. Have a position. Have a, uh, a role. Uh, there's one thing that I think was huge for me to learn in this was uh, the difference between uh, a leader with a capital L and a leader with a lowercase l. So big L, little L. Just, I don't know who made this up, honestly. I just remember it like sticking with me. Uh, 
the leader with a capital L has a title. It's, it's uh, bless you, it's treasurer, um, vice president, president, that's a capital L leader. They make decisions with getting stuff done. Then there's the little L leader that is supporting all that, that is on the back end, making sure that they are there to help uh, make things go smoothly or support that big L and doing things. Um, and I think learning that dynamic in an organization I think was really great. And I think you, you, you get that by, doing, by getting involved. Getting involved for me was, other than obviously getting the PharmD in the education, was probably the best thing I think that's helped with my career because it helped me just understand the dynamics of like working on a team, solving problems, how just the dynamics of how like the chain of command works in organizations, the politics behind a lot of that. Um, so I'd highly recommend that. And then um, also going to events, um, I think was really helpful as well. And that's mostly for the networking and the building of relationships part. Uh, I thought that that was a really um, helpful thing for my career. Uh, and then now it's also great because now I can also help others that need help in that. And because they know what I'm doing, they can just reach out to me and um, because I've met them and I know them and we had a great relationship, I can help them in any way that I can. Um, I do that obviously for people that I don't know as well, but you know, it's just, it's a helpful thing to do. Um, uh, so, and I went to the Orlando campus, which, so I don't have much, and I think you guys are all at Gainesville, right? Yeah, so it was definitely, obviously, you know, a different experience there. We, we had a smaller group, but, um, yeah, I think just getting involved, I think, was probably the best thing that I think that was um, important for me in the organizations, and, um, and I think it's helpful as you, and again, whether it be, not because you have to run for an election and get voted in, but just being involved and just being a part of uh, those organizations, so. Uh, what are your thoughts on like provider status, I guess, for future pharmacy? In terms of, like if it's gonna happen, I think it's definitely gonna happen. I just I wish I could tell you when. Uh, it's funny when I hear when you when you really talk to um, people that know how much we know and think how stupid it is that we can't prescribe something. Um, what I think is a great thing that we're seeing is the is the action in other states where you already have pharmacists that are prescribing birth controls. Um, prescribing other things. There's also a, a large movement that people have been in, engaging in collaborative practices. I mean, that's the real big loophole where you basically connect with a physician and say, hey, physician, can I prescribe this list of things if these uh, things happen? Prescriber's like, yeah, duh, go ahead. You know, and, like, and that's how you uh, end up forming those. Um, but I am, I'll also be honest in the fact that like, my strong suit has not been on the legislative front of things. It's been engaging with, figuring out how to engage with patients, how to help them do digital health and things like that. So I'm not going to pretend that like I'm an expert and say that these are the steps we need to do. And when that happens, you know, I just, I'm just not in that space. Um, but from a common sense standpoint, um, I think it's definitely going to happen. I just don't know when. And I also know that whether you want to be on the forefront of leading that legislation um, or you want to be like how I am where I'm not on the forefront, but I'm just executing on all the things to be ready for it. That's what you should be doing is either being on the front lines of pushing that legislation or if not, automatically assume that at any given moment you could potentially start prescribing things. That's how your career should be centered around. So I don't think anyone on this side answered a question except for the gentleman back. You guys got nothing? No? No questions? She's like, no. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. So I want to ask um, what you think about, you know, we're talking about networking and collaboration. Oftentimes we think about it within our own sphere, but on, as on healthcare teams, we're going to be interacting with other people. Sometimes there's, there's some territoriality when you talk about provider status. And, you know, so just talk a little bit about 
your experiences with collaborating interprofessionally? Yes. So uh, an episode that's going to be posted on Sunday was with the CEO of a uh, company called MD Box. Uh, this person is a, phys a practicing physician that went to Columbia Medical School and did a residency at Harvard Medical School, uh, which is, you know, institutions that are highly regarded. One of the main points of our conversation was his uh, love for pharmacists and how, how impactful pharmacists have uh, in healthcare. And the reason is, is because of kind of similar to what we've talked about in terms of like where the craft that we do, like what we came to school for is making sure medications are effective, safe, affordable, and the, you know, the right ones for that particular, um, for that particular patient. When we're the experts of that, every other branch of healthcare needs us, just as how we need them as well. We need the nurses to do what they're doing. We need PAs. We need the physicians. Uh, we need them as well but they also need us. And I think that understanding that and, and humbling ourselves to know that we're, we, we are the experts in that, but not having to have it be verbal, I think is a huge part because a lot of times, you know, we want to be like, you better call me doctor also, like that type of mentality. But like, uh, again, that also kind of goes back to like big L, little L, right? If we can be that, like that little doctor that's like, you know, providing real care in a real way where we're supporting, you know, they think we're supporting, we're really driving the whole thing, you know, at some point they're going to be able to realize that pharmacists, we need, like, we need you on our team. So I asked, I asked um, the physician, I said, hey, like, if you had an unlimited budget, um, you know, what would you have, you know, like, who would you hire? Like, what, what pharmacists would you hire? He's like, I'd hire like, ten, like a bunch of pharmacists and I'll have them doing care plans, safety. Like he had, and I did not prep him for this question. Like, I, I wouldn't say, hey, I'm going to ask you this, so be ready for this. I, off the bat, like, thought about, hey, if you had unlimited budget, what would you do with all these pharmacists? And he had answers, like, off the bat. Us realizing that and understanding that and being able to execute on providing that care in a team, I think we'll be able to foster those relationships with collaborating with other, with other physicians and other dentists, PAs. Um, they need us, and it's just us realizing and not needing to be boastful about that, you know, we, we're a doctor too, I think is a mindset that we have to try to get out of. Um, and it's not to say that we don't deserve it. I just think that sometimes we go over the top and it hinders our ability to collaborate, um, you know, when we want to be fostering that ability to collaborate. Hope I answered your question. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about a lot of really innovative practices for pharmacists, but I was wondering how you respond to those, especially in our own field, who maybe aren't as open to those things, um, like those who came before us and kind of getting them up to speed on where the profession is heading. Yeah. So uh, a couple years ago, I wrote an article titled Amazon's Pharmacist. And this was before they even acquired PillPack. This was before, you know, we even knew that Amazon was gonna buy PillPack and PillPack was even gonna be like a pharmacy for real. And in that article, I detailed out the, the vision and the future of what I think a pharmacist is gonna to go towards. And I think that having the conversation with them, that defense offense conversation and just, and then also when the things happen. So it's cool now that I, have that, I had that article written a couple of years ago and then Amazon bought PillPack, I'm like, you see, like, this is going to happen, you know, like, this is what's coming, and you need to be ready and innovate for it. So 
a lot of times it's having the conversation, but also being able to show them what's happening, like actually say, this is happening. Or did you know, so MD Box, the, the, uh, the recent episode that I did, they're creating a platform that allows basically a virtual minute clinic to occur at any pharmacy. So whether it be an independent pharmacy or a chain, a big chain, a patient shows up to the pharmacy and says, hey, I think I have, you know, my, my throat's really hurting. Telemedicine visit. They hop on an app. The pharmacist is there to support any sort of diagnostic needs that need to be done right on the spot. And then the pharmacist also gets billed um, or, or, or can bill for that telemedicine visit. I don't The, the specifics of that exactly, uh, the semantics of that, I don't know. But somehow the pharmacy is making more money off of that telemedicine visit. So just showing them that these are the things in the future that's coming and, and also realizing like you guys are not making, especially the independents uh, or just sorry, the, the community pharmacies, you're not making money anymore on dispensing. That's not where the, that's why the whole flu vaccine, like while yes, obviously we're healthcare providers, we want everyone to have the flu. The reason why the corporations push it so much is because it's such a bigger profit. It's way more profitable for them to sell, to, to vaccinate someone versus provide them metformin or give them metformin just way more profitable, like over like hundreds of percentage more profitable. So that's why it's pushed so much in terms of from a business standpoint, obviously like, you know, we, we know vaccines work, we, we, we want it to, we want people to get them and stuff. So it's, it's a win-win, but it's just showing them that these are the things that are happening and that this is the future and this is how you need to innovate. If not, you're gonna end up not winning. So that was a great question. Yeah. Oh my God, such a good question. <laughs> so I have a draft of an article right now about unionizing, uh, and it's not it's not in support of or in uh, in opposition to. Uh, the article details out we when we think about um, unionizing and we think about we, we we look at the physicians we go look at the AMA we would never allow that to happen that they would never allow that to happen. You know, like, why can't we do that? Why can't we come together? I found the AMA's, uh, which is because this is public information. I didn't like, steal it or anything. Uh, I found the AMA's um, spreadsheet or um, uh, balance sheet as to the funds that they take in from their members. It's like $300 million. The APHA was like $24 million. So we're trying to compare the power of just the APHA. Like a lot of times, I mean, I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying that this is what people normally look to. We're trying to like expect the APHA to, to, to do something that a powerhouse making hundreds of millions of dollars is doing. And then we think, oh, we should unionize because that's the answer. But unions charge you like two working hours a month as your union fees. So what's going to happen is when you, if we do unionize, let's say, and again, I'm not, I'm not advocating for it because there's, there's a lot of um, reasons not to unionize because there's uh, people who have arguments that it's actually bad and there's obviously people that have arguments that it's good so i'm just providing the facts here if we unionize we're going to have to spend two working hours i'm pretty it's either every two weeks or a month but either way it's like a hundred dollars a month let's say every month you have to pay for that union to to support and, and advocate on your behalf which in turn is going to get to that point where we're like the ama and we have all the legis all the money and the, and the uh, power to ha make things happen so what I think we have to realize is we have to do something, whether it's unionizing or whether it's just supporting more of what we currently have in place, we need to do something and we need to pay for it because that's the only way it's going to really have action, unfortunately. 
It's an unfortunate situation that the way our politics work, every, the reason why we're not prescribing is not because we don't know how to, it's because legislative, like, like through legislation we can't. And that's all through lobbying and money at the end of the day. So until we can understand that we need to have funds to drive this lobbying and to drive this to not let it happen, we're not going to see any change. So whether that happens through a union or not, that's up for debate. Um, but I just think that we need to understand that we're going to have to start paying for that. Sure. Did you get one more? So, so I was going to ask, uh, I appreciate your day varies uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, but yeah. you take it to an average nine to five? Or yeah. So I can more so give you like a week. Um, and the reason is, is because every day is different. So um, one day, so I mainly work from home. Uh, that's uh, mainly what I'm doing. So one day I'll have uh, our business ops meeting, uh, which is just a virtual call. And then I'll, may I'll maybe have scattered meetings throughout the day with other companies that I'm either supporting um, their account because they want to talk about how they want to expand their license or how they want to use the videos a different way. Um, or I'm meeting with new potential new customers that say, hey, we're really interested in your videos. How can we use them? You know, I'll have a meeting with them there. Uh, the day after that, I might travel to a trade show um, to set up a booth for our company that will, again, try to expand more business. Uh, the day after that, I might fly to uh, a headquarters for a particular chain or a company that's already using us and have a meeting there with, with, as a business review. And then that Friday, I might come home um, and then probably recap on emails and just like catch back up. Um, and then all of those, some of those nights or on that Friday, I'll probably record a podcast um, and then edit the podcast over the weekend and then have it post on Sunday. So that's kind of like... A typical week for me and I'm always on social media and Twitter like unfortunately I'm probably on social media more than like most teenagers um, but the difference is is like I'm not on there just like consuming and scrolling I'm on there creating and, and building my brand and community and like sharing things that are going on in the industry and things like that so luckily it's a little bit more productive than a teenager um, but I'm on there um, a lot so so then kind of, kind of follow up, uh, that, that sounds like a pretty cool job. Um, yeah. What do you recommend to, to students kind of wanting to, to maybe mimic that or try to kind of do what, what you do right now? So a lot of the roles uh, that, that end up being in leadership, like beyond just community pharmacy, um, a lot of times they're either in an office or they're virtual. A lot of companies are moving to having positions where most of it is virtual. But uh, you really get to these roles when you, again, kind of hone in on what you're good at, um, really start to network to end up creating your job. And that's how you get to that. Now, there's some people that cannot work from home. So that's another thing. Like, you also have to know, like, do you want to work from home? Because it's not easy. Like, it's like you have to stay motivated. You have to stay on top of things. You have to deal with, like, lawn people coming, like, you know, just, like, messing up. You know, so there's all kinds of, like, distractions that could happen there. So you also have to know, too, do you want to do that? Are you going to be more productive where, like, my work doesn't leave me. I work all, I feel like I work all the time because I'm working from home, right? So it doesn't leave. But some people want to go to a place, do as much as they can, do what they got to do, and then go home and just like, that's it. So you also have to like internally think about what it is that you want to um, do and how, how, that, how you want your career to be. Um, but as you move, as you start to come in some of these more innovative roles, it ends up being where it just makes sense for them not to have the overhead of having an office to have you sit in that office. So the higher up that you get, a lot of times it ends up being that way. Um, the meeting I was at yesterday, they... they they voiced in a similar setup. They just voiced in someone from Texas. Like, they didn't need to be in that office there. They could have been doing that from home. But, um, yeah, so. 
Hi, I have a question. Um, so in terms of networking, I find that personally, it's a little bit difficult for me to do so. Like if I go to a conference, it can be a little bit overwhelming seeing a huge um, group of people you don't know. And I tend to feel a little bit shy in those circumstances. I didn't know if you had any sort of tips or strategies in terms of how you would approach kind of networking um, when you tend to feel a little bit overwhelmed. Yeah. So here's like what's what's pretty crazy is like... Um, I feel like I'm a fairly outgoing person, a fairly social person. And even with that confidence, I remember going to mid-year and being like super overwhelmed, like, holy crap, like this is crazy. And I can't even like imagine how someone that doesn't have that confidence or find it difficult, like I can't imagine how that like probably how difficult that is. Um, so, it, but one thing that I think you have to um, – one way I think of overcoming that is to try to have a plan going in. So a lot of times when you are going to a particular networking event, you 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 sometimes get an idea of who's there. And, and whether that be through actual people that's there or whether that be through the actual companies that are there, you might be able to get access or see a list of who that is. And I think what I would do is is find out who those people are, like what companies those are. Go try to research them, like look at, see if they're on LinkedIn, see if they're on Twitter, on some social media platform. And just by going and like, and finding them and just seeing their picture and just maybe seeing something that they post, it actually might create a, a form of like comfort already because it's like, you don't, you, you kind of already, I don't say you kind of met them already, but you kind of did because they're on, like, you kind of interacted potentially with their social. And I think that might be helpful. And then when you get to the event, like having a plan of like, okay, I already looked at these people. I looked at these companies on social media. These are the people like I'm going to go talk to with a plan and it might be able to alleviate some of that, um, some of that discomfort. Um, now when you, when you get to that person or to that company, that's another, that's also like another challenge, right? Like sometimes like I would have to overcome. It's like, okay, well now I'm here. What do I do? Um, though I think a great way to network is to sometimes ask questions that like not it's definitely great to ask questions about like what it is that you know they do or something about that specifically but if you somehow through your research are able to find something some sort of connection that's not related to uh that's not related to like what it is that they're there for that's actually a great way to network for example um i love to snowboard right so if i was re doing some research on someone and all of a sudden I see that they lived in an area that there's potential for snowboarding to be there or skiing. One of the questions I might ask say, Hey, I see that you live in this area. Like, do you ever go out? And the great thing is like, you don't want to automatically assume that they do because that, that can make things a little weird. But if you ask, you can, you're either going to get a response of like, yes, I do. Like, let's talk about it. You know, that you have a connection there. Or they might say, you know, I've never gone and I've always wanted to. And then you can then say, like, give them tips and advice potentially on a first timer that's going. So and that's a connection that you could create and a memorable one that is easy to talk about. And it's also it'll make you a little bit more memorable in that conversation for that networking for you to follow up potentially later on some more serious questions, whether that those questions be in that within that day or because you're following up with them um, via email later on to, to kind of reconnect. So I, ho I hope that's helpful. Thank you. Sure. Hey, Richie. How's it going? It's, uh, it's Norman. Hey, how you doing, man? Yeah, 
pretty good. Uh, we've interacted a few times already. Yeah. Uh, the first time I believe was uh, at the AI conference you went to with uh, the voice space. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So where do you see pharmacy fitting into that exactly? The voice space. So, in all in all types of ways, um, the the two the two main ways that I see it happening is one in the conversational design, uh, and then two in the in the uh, dispensing of prescriptions. So, um, one of the companies I know a company right now that are figuring out ways to tie the pharmacy management system into the back end of Alexa devices. So essentially everything that you can do on your phone with, with like managing a prescription, you should be able to do that through voice. So I think that's going to be huge for pharmacy to be a part of, um, in just designing those experiences and how, like, like what, what, what does a patient need to be able to capably do with, with his or her voice to manage their prescription? Um, and I think pharmacists or people that are that are proficient in op pharmacy operations is going to be the best ones to do that. Uh, the second way is the conversational design and the medication information um, uh, backend. So very similar to, to, to like what I said earlier, like pharmacists need to be involved in knowing what questions that are potentially going to be that are going to come up in a conversation when talking to a patient. Like we need to almost like predict the future. And a lot of times we do that, like when you're out and practicing and you're doing it enough, you start to like anticipate what's about to happen. Like when someone like starts a, a certain sentence one way or another. And I think pharmacists need to really start honing in on that. And I think we're, we're going to be the best ones to be able to best deliver and best create these experiences for these people when they have a question about their medication, because they're going to ask these devices like there's there there's. There's no stopping the, the growth we're already seeing that's there. There's a huge uptake of these these voice devices because of how cheap they are. It's only like 30 bucks to get one of these devices in your home and then how easy it is to use if you compare that to a a smart like a smartphone. Like smartphones are expensive, tablets are expensive, and they're they're actually for us they're easy to use, but if you hand that to someone that's never really dealt with it and they've had a flip phone their whole life, they're gonna have a difficult time using that. So because of that, because of the inexpense and because of how easy it is to use, it's going to happen and it, it's already happening now. It's, it's, it's not like we're, we're thinking it's going to happen. It can, may happen. Like it's going to happen. And I think pharmacists need to be the ones that are going to be designing those conversations and, and being able to predict the, the, the type of conversations that people, that patients are going to have when trying to better their health or better understand their medications or their disease state. Um, so those are the real two main ways that I see that voices voice coming into play with uh, with pharmacy. Thank you. Sure. Good to good to see you in person. Like again, kind of virtually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was definitely definitely enjoyment. Uh, enjoy your podcast a lot, especially the episode you did with the digital apothecary. Oh, uh, thanks, so, man. Yeah, thank you so much. No, I appreciate that. Just I just went back into like the whole digital health thing. I'm in health IT. I'm a health IT kind of geek guy. I love it. Um, but the hard part is how far like in the back end side of things do you see like pharmacists like going into the back end of things? So say like was it more? Do you see pharmacists more like just helping the team of the engineers that are working back end, or companies even looking for pharmacists with that expertise? Because like all the learning Python would be great for any pharmacist. You only brush up on so much of it during pharmacy school, like when we're so busy. 
Yeah, so that's actually a really good question. And I think that there's a there's a great debate there um, whether you should be uh, really proficient in you know some sort of code or not. Um, now, if I'm in that debate, I'm more on the side of it would be best to understand as much as possible um, how how code works and the limitations and the um, uh, and and how what it can do for healthcare, but. I don't think when a it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me if I'm if I'm bringing on someone or I'm looking for um, a coder or a developer I'm gonna want a developer I'm not gonna I, I just don't see myself wanting a pharmacist as my developer um, but I do think that that developer should have access to a pharmacist uh, in helping to uh, you know design certain uh, platforms or fix problems or do things like that. So, but I, I do think that, um, and I'm, you might be aware of the, um, the pharmacist Slack channel that has like a, a big informatics, um, uh, channel in there where there's a lot of people that, um, talk about, uh, pharmacy informatics and pharmacy AT. And I think there's some people in there that's like, you know, they're trying to actually learn the code and, um, you know, become proficient in coders. And, um, that's fair. I also think that you just have to be really like, because of the amount of, of time that like you have to think that a coder potentially learns as much code and spends as much time on code than pharmacists do on medications, like a good developer. So I think to understand that that's how much it takes to be a good developer, you have to realize like, is that the type of work that you want to put in to become a proficient developer? Um, I think that's, uh, that should be a personal decision. I don't think it should be a requirement for you to be in pharmacy IT. Um, but I think that you have to probably know as, I think it's, I think at a bare minimum, you should know like the differences in code, um, the basics of how, how it works again, it's limitations, but then realize that when you're a part of an informatics team, you're, you're more so there to provide the clinical and, uh, piece of things in terms of like how it fits into healthcare and how to, how the technology will apply to healthcare and apply to workflow. Um, implied improving efficiencies and things like that. So I hope, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that, that, that's helped. That's helped a lot there. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask another question. It's Norman again. Yeah. Um, so what is your, because recent news just came out that Amazon just started their primary care clinic for their own employees. What is your opinion on that and how they're going to expand that to the general population? And I kind of see that they could potentially start their own health insurance for, I don't know, Amazon Prime members. I don't know how exactly that would go out, but what is your opinion on that? Yeah, so the virtual virtual clinics, it's, it's, a, it's becoming a wave of like a lot of people are doing it. So Amazon didn't, didn't invent the virtual clinic. Um, there's a lot of companies, even one of the recent podcast episodes I did with MD Box, they're a virtual, um, you know, care clinic. So that's becoming a wave of, of new, um, of new, I guess, services that people are offering. And I'm, I'm almost sure that Amazon just acquired a company that was already doing it and just, you know, is calling it Amazon Care. But it's, but that, pla that is a platform necessarily. Um, that where they get their providers from is an, is one thing that I, I don't know if we know the answers to, but you know, I, I think that that platform just ties their, their cust their um, employees to a healthcare um, organization like that has healthcare providers. And then they just created the platform. Um, so 
Uh, I think that's going to be everywhere. I think, you know, that that's just something that's, we're going to be, you know, nor like seen as normal at some point. Uh, in terms of the, and I think it's a great thing too. Uh, let me say that. I, I think because all that, all that platform is doing is increasing access to healthcare. Um, and, and I think that the more uh, specific organizations can do to serve like their population, especially not being within um, the norm, I think is, is better because uh, they end up creating um, better healthcare. So that's something I'm totally on, on board with. In terms of if they would create their own insurance, um, I think in one way or another, they will. Um, I, I don't know if it'll be called an insurance, but what I what I can what I def I almost I'm super sure that this is going to happen at some point is that you know how like um, uh, Walmart and Target and like these places had like a four dollar list or free list. I'm super confident that Amazon Prime members are going to have access to one of those lists at some point, and I think that. Because of the because of the barrier that it takes to get into the insurance business and like the PBM world and all that, like them being fairly scared of what Amazon could potentially do, I think Amazon might actually win on the fronts of cash paying patients, and uh, and that would be through the likes of things like Amazon Prime, where if you're a Prime member, you get access to these medications from PillPack for X amount of dollars, and like. Technically, you know, your insurance, your quote unquote insurance premium would be your Amazon Prime payment. So um, I, I, I can almost I don't want to guarantee it, but like there's a high possibility that that's like in our future. Thank you. That absolutely answers my question. Yeah. I have a question. Um, so I currently work at CBS and we started doing, um, I guess, like voice over um, answering machines and you couldn't hit any buttons like you straight up just had to answer the question um, and one of our patients said that a complaint was he had a sore throat and he wasn't able to enunciate correctly for the you know telephone to read what he was actually trying to say um, what other challenges do you feel like pharmacists will face in the technology kind of impeding into our role um, and how do you feel like we come some of these challenges? So that's that's a, I think a poorly designed um, interaction for the patient, you know, um, because even even if you look at like some some Alexa, like Alexa is a voice first application, but a lot of times a good a great voice first application, especially in healthcare, should involve an ability to. Um, you know, do things on the phone or help people that are that are disabled. I mean, because at the end of the day, like healthcare is about people that have like a problem that we need to help them with. And it could be all types of problems. So in my opinion, that's actually a poorly designed thing. And, and I think that 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 complaint, I don't know how many times it's going to happen, but I think it should be heavily, um, uh, you know, taken into consideration where you should be able to dial something if that's, you know, if, if that's what the patient wants to do. Um now, in terms of, you know, what other problems I foresee with like technology, um, I think it's just, the, I think the biggest problem that I'm going to, that I see is just that every time healthcare does something and we design something, we don't educate enough the consumer on how to use it. And there's going to be an infinite amount of problems that is going to happen as we uh, increase our use of technology 
But the problem is, is that the people that are designing these tools w- are designing it like they're trying to design it, obviously, for people that you know are going to use it and, and, and the population. But we're also not spending enough time educating um, the, the, the consumers and the patients how to use these things. And I think that that gap is the biggest problem that we're going to have as technology starts to uh, starts to continue to increase and ramp up. If we just forget about the actual need to educate the patients on how to use these things, I think that's going to be a huge problem and a huge like that's the big I think that's the biggest thing that we're going to have to overcome is to say, like, when we do design some sort of technology and we do something, we need to then educate the person how to use it. Thank you. Sure. It's a good question. Uh, could you expand a little bit more on how you got into podcasting? Just kind of curious. Yeah, sure. So um, I, at the time, I started listening. This is about two years ago now. Um, well, I guess three years ago, I started listening to podcasts because I was, you know, I, I was in traffic a lot, like on my commutes to work. And I just kind of got tired of listening to like regular radio and, um, and listening to music. And I was like, I want to be like, I want to learn stuff. Like I want to feel like I'm being productive in this like 45 minutes to work. So I started listening to podcasts. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'd love to listen to like a pharmacy podcast, or whatever. And the ones that like, when I searched like podcasting like I just I didn't find ones that I thought fit me and and I I had specific questions that I wanted to learn about in pharmacy so I'm like okay like how hard is it to actually podcast or whatever and then I actually like uh, like most of things that I do whenever I like I think about it I just google it and I'm just like like is it like how do you podcast like how do you set this up and I actually found that it wasn't hard like it it takes work and there's a learning curve but it wasn't like rocket science so in that sense i was like okay there's things that i want to learn i want to learn more about what pharmacy is doing all these different careers um i also wanted to learn about one, one of the main drivers for starting this podcast also was so i can talk to pharmacists in other countries um i didn't really stick with that theme a lot um just because i started realizing how much there was to discover just in the u.s um but i did have a couple episodes with like pharmacists in like the uk and canada um, that, that I, that I thought was really cool to just to see like what the differences were on some things. Um, but again, like I really just started sticking with learning because there's just so many, like all the different ways pharmacists are practicing here in the U S. Um, and I just wanted to do something that was, that I thought that something that I would listen to, um, that, that I wish I had in school. And that I also wish I had when I was a, um, a community pharmacist kind of practicing and wondering like what else was out there. Um, so that was basically kind of the, the origin of it. Thank you. Thank you. So everyone that hasn't listened to the podcast, go subscribe and listen. It's great. So I have one last question um, in regards to branding yourself. I feel like sometimes I see my classmates and they have like very obvious, like um, they're very passionate about public health or health, health economics outcomes research. But when I look at myself, I feel like I am um, a lot of my accomplishments or things that I've done are a little bit scattered. I've had a lot of different passions that I've pursued. And so I'm having a hard time kind of like pulling it all together into like one brand. So I didn't know if you had any sort of like advice on how to organize through all that and kind of brand yourself in that way. Sure. So uh, if you could leave the mic on um, just so I can, we can have a conversation about, about this. So like if you, if you, and sorry to put you on the spot here, but if you won the lottery tomorrow, but you were forced to finish pharmacy school and you won the lottery, what would you do? 
with your spare time? Obviously, other than like investments and like buying a nice house and a car and like paying off your loans back, probably like what would you do with your time to like feel fulfilled? So I've always um, really enjoyed traveling a lot. And so I have like been really interested in doing some sort of um, non-traditional pharmacy or maybe like industry pharmacy uh, related to like global health or um, something related to global so I can do a little bit more traveling, kind of integrate that passion for traveling and um, exploring with um, my profession. I don't think I would ever just quit pharmacy because um, I really do enjoy like working. I don't think I would like just bumming around, but um, that's probably what I would. <laughs> Well, I'm the same way. Like I, the way I answer that question is I actually would not do anything different. If I won the lottery, I would just, in addition, obviously to like buying, you know, nice things and paying off loans, I would literally just hire more people to do what I'm doing. Um, And it almost sounds like you, you answered your own question in terms of like what, what it is that your brand should be. And I think it should be around kind of that global impact that healthcare could potentially have whether it be through like um, vaccines or, um, you know, uh, increasing healthcare in other countries. One thing that you should look at, which I thought was actually pretty cool, there's a company called Zipline and they're actually creating the first pharmacy that um, is is by drone delivery. And I think there's a country that they, are, they have full coverage in the country where at any point, any health system or pharmacy needs a, a certain type of treatment, they can have it delivered in 30 minutes anywhere in the country by drone. Um, and that's just, you know, something really cool because they basically had to like go and look at and do a lot of traveling to figure out all the different problems and how to figure out different things in healthcare um, in like other countries. So I think that regardless of what your past accomplishments might have been, because of the way you answered that question, you should have your brand focus around that answer um, and and just like and just figure out ways to chip at it. And uh, sometimes you might do things now that might not be, they might not seem like it's the clear path towards that, but a lot of times it'll just be a stepping stone. Like I love community pharmacy and that was what I was super passionate about and what I went into. Um, but I think my real, my real niche has really formed into just uh, being about patient engagement, patient education. And I'm so thankful that I was able to go into community pharmacy to like get that experience to be able to um, use that as a stepping stone to like better um, execute on like how I'm really going to help people in the future. So um, I would just, I would hone in on that answer and and let that be your North star. That's a really interesting way to um, put myself in that mindset. So I really appreciate that. No problem. All right. I think my time is up again. I thank you guys so much for all your attention. You guys have a good one. So this episode was up there in terms of uh, length. Uh, most episodes don't usually go over an hour. So anyone that finished it off and you're here now with me, thank you so much for listening to the whole thing. Really do appreciate you tuning in. Make sure to connect with me on any of your favorite social media platforms. And if you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe, uh, whether that be on Spotify or iTunes. Uh, leave a rating and really appreciate that. Um, any feedback is really helpful. And as always, hope you have a great rest of your day. No, seriously, go go leave a rating on iTunes. I mean, this podcast is free. The, at the least you can do is go and leave me a rating and let me know what you thought. Really appreciate it. Okay, bye for real this time. Pharmacy.